0: chapter thirteen of the diamond pin by carolyn wells this librivox recording is in the public domain thirteen fleming stone comes fleming stone carried his years lightly except for the slight greying at his temples no one would think that he had arrived as he had at the years that are called middle-aged but an especially interesting problem so stirred his enthusiasm and roused his energies that he grew young again and his dark eyes fairly scintillated with eagerness and power tell me everything he repeated even after he had heard all the details over and over again omit nothing no tiniest point it all helps they sat in the living-room at pellbrook miss darrell and iris being present also hughes and the lawyer chapin stone had examined the sitting-room where mrs pell had died and closing its door had returned to the big living-room for further information on the whole subject of the crime and its subsequent events the pin's the thing he said at last everything hinges on that do you think so asked mr chapin it seems to me the pin's a blind a decoy and the people hunting it are really after something else of intrinsic value fleming stone looked at the lawyer with a courteous impatience no mr chapin the pin is the thing they are after it was for that pin that mrs pell was murdered that is why her dress was torn open at the throat the villain was searching for that pin that's why the desk was ransacked and the handbag explored the pocket-book emptied all in a desperate effort to find that seemingly insignificant pin that is why the poor woman was tortured maltreated bruised and beaten in final attempts to make her tell where the pin was failing the wretch flung her to the floor in a burst of murderous frenzy that's why i was kidnapped then exclaimed iris of course and you may be again those people will stop at nothing the letters asking for the pin the caller who wanted it for his collection all represent the same mastermind who is after the pin But why?" wondered Hughes. "What do they want of the pin?" "The pin means the jewels," declared Stone briefly. "How, I can't say exactly for the moment, but the pin is the open sesame to the hiding place of the gems, and only the possession of it will secure the treasure. We must get the pin, and then all else will be clear sailing." "But the pin is gone," lamented Iris. "That is the worst phase of it all," Stone said regretfully. It is such a difficult thing to trace, not only so tiny and easily lost, but so like thousands of others, that it can't readily be discerned even if seen. "'You think it's just an ordinary pin, then?' inquired Chapin. "'Absolutely, sir.' "'Then why won't any other pin do as well?' Stone looked at him keenly. "'I can't answer that at present, Mr. Chapin. My theory regarding the pin, while doubtless the truth, is as yet uncertain.' Now, another and equally great problem is that of the murderer's exit. From your story of the crime, I gather that the room was absolutely unenterable, except by breaking in the door, which Purdy and the chauffeur did. That is true, agreed Iris. The windows, as you can see, are strongly barred, and there is but one door. Search has been made for secret entrances or concealed passages, but there is nothing of the sort. No, said Stone, this sort of house is not apt to have such if there were any they would be easily discovered and there were several people in this room when the two men burst in the door yes said iris i was here and polly the cook and the two men you are positive the murderer could not have slipped by you as the door flew open and so made his escape that was utterly impossible we were all grouped around the door and stayed so until we entered the sitting-room ourselves there was nobody there but aunt ursula herself dead. Yes, but only just dead. Polly heard her faint moans after her loud screams, you know, before we broke in. And what were the words she used when she screamed out? I don't know exactly, but they were cries for help, and I'm sure Polly said she called out thieves. Of course she was unable to speak coherently. Now, began Stone, to look at this one point, her assailant had to get out or stay in, didn't he? You're sure he didn't get out, therefore he must have stayed in a man of flesh and blood cannot go through walls like a ghost but he didn't stay in cried iris we searched the room at once there was nobody in it you know there's almost no place to hide we looked behind the window curtains and all such places and too we were in this room continuously till others came and no one could have gone through here without being seen nor could he get out of the barred windows then what became of him ah mr stone said hughes that's the question that has puzzled us all if you can solve that we begin to look for the murderer meantime we must assume him to be a spook is that it stone smiled a little at the complacent hughes i don't say that but i do call the manner of his exit an insoluble mystery if he could accomplish it i can find out how stone said quietly he had no air of bravado but he made the statement in all sincerity I believe you can, declared Lucille, that's why I wanted you, Mister Stone. I've heard of your almost unbelievable cleverness, and I knew if anybody could get to the bottom of this mystery you could. I don't mind admitting that it is seemingly the most inexplicable one I have encountered, but I shall do my best, and I want the cooperation of you all-there are many things to be told me yet remember i've only just heard the main details and each of you can give me light in different ways i'll call on you for information when necessary also miss darrell will you extend your hospitality to my young assistant that boy lucille smiled yes terence his name is he's my right-hand man and attends to a lot of detail work for me he's a handful and lucille laughed again i saw him in the kitchen wheedling round polly and begging for cookies i'll warrant he got 'em," said stone he has a way with him that is persuasive indeed but he won't make you any bother fix him up a bed in the loft or anywhere he's willing to rough it oh no he can have a decent room of course i'll give him one in the garage there's a nice one next to campbell's at that moment terence appeared at the door come in said stone i want these ladies to know you awkwardly the boy entered and blushed furiously as stone gravely introduced him all around we'll be friends terence said iris who felt sorry for his embarrassment and who pleasantly offered her hand thank you ma'am and will you please call me phipsy it makes me feel more at home like phipsy what a funny name because you tell fibs yes'm how'd you guess the laughing eyes met hers and the boy's stubby paw touched iris's soft hand but some subtle spark passed between them that made each feel the other a friend and a tacit compact was sealed without a word let me see the room whispered fibsy with a pleading look at fleming stone yes and the detective rose at once and accompanied the lad to the room of the tragedy the details of the death of mrs pell were quickly rehearsed and fibsy's eyes darted round the room taking in every detail of walls and furniture hughes was astounded who was this insignificant boy that he should be consulted and referred to why was an experienced detective like himself set aside as of no consequence while fleming stone washed absorbedly the face of the urchin how did the murderer get out hughes could not help saying with a view to confusing the boy gee if all you local police has concentrated your thinkers on that all this time and hasn't doped it out yet i can't put it over all at once but mr stone he'll rank the heart out of the mystery you can just bet of course how'd the murderer get out is easy enough to sit around and say like a flock of parrots the thing to do is find out how he did get out fibsy stood hand in pockets in front of the mantel looking down at the floor here's where she was lying he asked gravely and iris nodded her head leaning down Fibsy looked up the chimney and hughes laughed out back number he said looking bored don't you s'pose we've investigated that chimney business a monkey couldn't get up that little flue let alone an able-bodied man that's so my bucko and Fibsy beamed on hughes without a trace of rancor at the elder man's scorn now about the evidence against mr bannard stone said to the local detective do i understand it's only the newspaper and cigarette that he was supposed to have left in this room well hughes defended himself he had motive he was seen around these parts and he denies he was up here never mind i'll talk with him please i'll learn more from his own story he isn't guilty oh mr stone he isn't guilty iris exclaimed her beautiful eyes filling with tears please get him out of that awful jail can't you let us hope so miss clyde stone spoke abstractedly where is the newspaper in question here it is and iris took it from a drawer and handed it to him why this has never been opened exclaimed stone no agreed hughes when bannard came up here sunday morning on his bicycle he had no thought for the day's news he had other plans ahead he carried that paper up here without reading it, and he left it here also unopened. Might have been opened and folded up again, offered Fibsy. It has, too. I did that, said Hughes importantly. I opened it the first time I saw it. Naturally one would, and I refolded it exactly as it was. It's of no further value as evidence, but I made sure it hadn't been read. You can always tell if a paper's been read or not. Sure you can, agreed Where Where's this Mr. Bannard live? "'In Bachelor Apartments in New York,' said Iris. "'I mean, where in New York?' the boy persisted. "'West 44th Street.' "'He ain't the murderer,' and Fibsy handed the newspaper that he had been glancing over back to Hughes. "'You darling,' cried Iris excitedly, grasping Fibsy's two hands. "'Of course he isn't, but how do you know?' "'Don't go too fast, Fibs said Fleming Stone, smiling with understanding at the boy.' shall we say the real murderer lives somewhere near bob grady's place yes sir yes oh lord what a muddle again the boy stood in front of the fireplace musing deeply new he said turning to the electric lamp on the nearby table yes said iris puzzled at his actions when the man knocked auntie down the table was overturned and the lamp smashed to bits we put a new one in its place oh all right now where was that cigarette stub found and how far was it burned hughes disliked to answer the boy's questions but fleming stone turned expectantly toward him so he replied it was on the desk and it was about half smoked and this poker did it lie here where it is now wasn't she hit with it those things have all been thrashed out replied hughes a little petulantly no she wasn't hit with the poker she was flung down and her head knocked onto the sharp knob on the fender how do you know there's a blood-stain on the brass knob and her head was right by it the poker is two feet away might have been used all the same and phipsy stared at it howsomever that don't count we've got her dead and we've got to find out who did it and so far it wasn't mr bannard when will it begin to be mr bannard said hughes with fine sarcasm i mean fibsy returned quietly so far they ain't nothin to implicate mr bannard somethin might turn up though but i don't think so and anyway the problem first of all ain't who but how that's what we must hunt out first eh mr stone very well terence stone spoke abstractedly you attend to that while i find the pin it seems to me that is the most important thing ain't that f s all over cried fibsy admiringly puts his finger on the very spot and me a babblin foolishness about findin how the he got in you do certainly babble foolishness flung out hughes unable to conceal his annoyance at the boy's forwardness as he looked upon it yes sir and fibsy's humble acceptance of Hugh's reproof had no tinge of irony the boy was not conceited or bumptious he was stone's assistant and took no orders save from his chief but he never assumed importance on his own merit nor behaved with insolence or impertinence to any one his only desire was to serve fleming stone and an approving nod from the great detective was all the reward terence McGuire desired and then fibsy seemed possessed of a new idea of some sort for with a sudden exclamation and a word of excuse he ran from the room don't allow yourself to be annoyed by that boy mr hughes said stone he is a great help to me in any work his manners are not intentionally rude but sometimes he gets absorbed in an investigation and he forgets what i've tried to teach him of courtesy and consideration for others he's of humble birth but i'm endeavouring to make him of gentlemanly behaviour and i'm succeeding on the whole but in emergency the fervour of his soul runs away with the intent of his mind for he wants to behave as i ask him to i know that therefore i forgive him much and i must ask you to be also lenient then apparently feeling that he had done his duty by hughes the detective turned his attention to the room once more he scrutinized everything all over again he left no minutest portion of the mantel the table the desk or the window draperies uninspected a few taps at walls and partitions brought the comment no secret entrance and had there been new people must have found it ere this it is a satisfaction to find so much of the investigating done already and thoroughly done hughes bridled with satisfaction and eagerly watched stone's further procedure phipsy took his way to the garage and began a desultory conversation with campbell the chauffeur who's the college professor he asked pointing a thumb over his shoulder at a long lank figure hovering toward them him he's sam sam yep don't babble on so i don't want all his family history quit talking can't you as campbell had said only a few monosyllables and as he had the scotchman's national sense of humor he merely stared at his interlocutor oh well since you're in a chattering mood spill a little more who's he in america sam oh he's agnes's half-brother and he's half-witted Sort of fractional currency. Is he? Is he exclusive? Eh? Never mind. Thank you. I'll be my own intelligence office. Hey, Sam. Want some chewing gum? The lackwit turned to the bright-faced boy who followed him and favored him with a vacant stare. Gum, sonny, gum. You know, chew, chew. Hey. Eh? Sam held out his hand, and Fibsy put a paper package in it. Wait a minute he went on leading sam out of earshot of the garage what's that song i heard you singin a bit ago no sir sam don't sing that more oh yes sam does it's a pretty song come now i like your voice sam sings pretty very pretty the wheedlesome tone and smile did the trick and the foolish boy broke out in a low crooning song it is a sin to steal a pin as well as any greater thing good fibsy applauded would you learn that sam of L? long ago baby days and why do you sing it to-day a look of fear came over sam's face followed by a smile of cunning he looked like a leering gargoyle as grotesque as any on notre dame you know why he whispered oh yes i know why but we won't tell anybody will us no not anybody who do you steal it from from chair e <laughs> from old mr chair yes of course and phipsy's heart beat fast the big fat mr chair yes big fat mr chair in mrs pell's room "'Yes, yes, in Missy Pell's room.' "'But Fibsy began to think the clouded intellect "'was merely repeating words spoken to it, "'and he asked, "'Who put the pin and chair for Sam to steal?' "'Who?' "'And the blank, foolish face was inquiring. "'Campbell?' "'No, no, not Campbell.' "'No, no, it was Agnes.' "'No, not Agnes.' "'Who, then?' fibsy held his breath lest he disturb the evident effort the poor lad was making to remember missy iris sam said at last yes missy iris missy iris yes missy there there fibsy shut him up don't say that again did you see her yes by window then sam steal pin it is a sin to steal a pin it is a sin to steal a pin it is but fibsy set to work to turn the poor befuddled mind in another direction and after a time he succeeded End of chapter thirteen